We're going to read some of the words from this man, Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Peter wrote these words, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that many years ago, your son came to earth and walked with a man for years named Peter. Even after Peter rejected your investment in him, You came back to him in your son Jesus and said, feed my sheep. And he made good on that. And there is a good feast laid before us in this passage. Help me as I attempt to serve it out. I pray that you would help us to not just taste it, but to digest this food from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in high school, I went to a couple of youth groups like a lot of high schoolers do, just trying to socialize, and I met a guy named Ross Goff. And Ross and I liked playing the guitar, but Ross was kind of a quiet, introvert kind of a guy, and if you get to know me, I'm kind of the direct opposite. I like to express just about everything. And I think God brought Ross and I together. Ross was going through a divorce, and uh, he was going through a lot of pain. But one thing Ross and I loved to do together is we loved to ride uh, motorcycles, And I went with him in the uh, Northern California mountains one day, and we both got on our motorcycles, and we took off. And he took me up, up, up into the mountains uh, to some roads that I had never been to before. And some of you here ride, and you know what it's like to get on a motorcycle. There's just something amazing about the experience. I mean, you hear just the hum of that bike and the vibrations. It's like when you go to the zoo and you're a kid and you hear that lion roar. I mean, it kind of just, it, it shivers your entrails, if you know what I mean. And there's just something kind of, when you get on a bike and you have that power, and, and maybe for Ross, it was just getting away from, from the, the, the devastation of his family. Uh, but we'd get on the bike, and you didn't know what was coming around every turn, and you could smell the air, and it was just great. But 
Ross was better than I at riding a bike, and I was kind of prideful, and I wanted to keep up with him. And one day we were just up on these roads, and he took some turns real fast, and I tried to keep up with him. And uh, a turn just sort of took, took me by surprise, and I did what many of you that have had uh, the experience of riding a motorcycle, I lost control. I could not navigate the turn, and I just kept going more and more and more and more over to the left of the road. And I went over an embankment, and I flipped, and I started rolling, and my body and my bike stopped right at the edge uh, of a huge cliff. And I looked over the edge, and I had one of those early moments as a teenager of saying, I just about died. And uh, it was a scary experience. Now, Peter knows that he is going to be leaving. He's going to be dying. And Peter says to himself, I just told you in the letter that you have the prophetic word. You have the word of God. But there's going to be some turns coming up. There are going to be some experiences that I want you to be able to detect so that you don't experience destruction. So what we see in the scripture today is that Peter says, look, false teachers can be detected. They will ultimately be destroyed as God delivers his people from the temptations of these teachers. So if you're going to be a note taker today or just try to follow along, detection, destruction, and deliverance. And I'll tell you up front, Peter cared about detection. And we're going to take most of our time today on how do you detect a false teacher? How do you detect when you're on the road of life and a curve is coming? What are the signs? Then we're going to just spend a very short amount of time on destruction and on deliverance. And it's a bit of a surprise at the end. So let's go ahead and start out with the question, how can we detect a false teacher? I don't know how many kids here still look, uh, read the magazine Highlights, but when I was a kid, any parents here ever read Highlights? I mean, it's got, if, if, you, if you're going, what's Highlights? I was more of a Ranger Rick fan. Well, Highlights, I like Ranger Rick. Highlights had these, this, uh, these pictures with hidden objects. And I'd get it, and I, you're supposed to read and learn all these things, but I'd go right to this picture. I was never real good at the crossword puzzles or whatever that mathematic thing is that some of you do, Sudoku. I, I just would like, give me a picture. I'll try to find and detect what's in there. How many of you have looked at those hidden pictures? Is that something that just I did? Some of you are familiar with that. Well, Peter is saying there are distinguishing features and marks, and here's the first one. He gives us ten in rapid-fire succession. The first sign in verse 1 He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Here's the surprising thing. False teachers are in the church. There may be one sitting right now in this building. In other words, false teachers are not these weird people out there. They look like us. They talk like us. They are among us. And that... That is something that, that Peter is saying is that history, history is just uh, showing us that in the Garden of Eden, Satan came in as a false teacher. The children of Israel, as Dean read, were prepared that there's going to be false prophets. And guess what? Now we are here in the church, and there's still false teachers. And there's something that I want us to learn here. There's a term called nominal Christianity. Nominal means, hey, I'm a Christian. We want to prepare you here to say, be careful about that. We don't actually believe that everyone that calls themselves a Christian is actually a Christian. Unless you think, well, that's kind of prideful. I mean, if someone says, I'm a Christian, shouldn't you just take it at face value? Well, here's the problem. We know that Christianity can be uh, a term that 
has a lot of things involved. At our church here, because Scripture teaches us this, we would say, here's what a Christian is. They admit that they've revolted against God. They've repented of their sin. They trust fully in the life that Christ lived and the death that Christ died in their place. They believe that they deserve punishment, and he died in their place. So here's the thing. If you look around even this congregation, Christians are not the best people. And you might think, this is confusing. You Christians are confusing me. If you're here just exploring Christianity and you're saying, so everybody, not called, everybody called a Christian isn't a Christian, and Christians have a set of beliefs and they're not the best people, I would say that's exactly right. If, if you were to measure the pile of virtues that an individual has, that does not make them a Christian. What makes you a Christian is by admitting that I lack virtues, I need a Redeemer. And here's what you do at Redeemer, because we want you to get to know Christians. Get acquainted with people. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, let's get together and start to find out. And if you become acquainted with an individual here who admits that without Christ, they deserve punishment, you're meeting a real Christian. If you meet someone that's really good and all they do is they talk about how great they are and they're really just making great strides, and be careful because false teachers are among us. The second sign is that false teachers are sneaky. Do you see this in verse 1? who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. If you go back in history, there was a man named Irenaeus who was a church teacher. He was a disciple of a man named Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of John. He actually wrote one of the books of the Bible. So you're having a disciple of a disciple of a disciple, and he's going to say something. Check this out. He says, "'Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest being thus exposed,' It should at once be detected, but it's craftily decked out in an attractive dress so as by its outwards form to make it appear to the inexperienced more true than the truth itself. I work in an emergency department, and like many of you that work in jobs that have a lot of stress, sometimes I do things just to kind of break up the stress. And one day, there was a number of nurses. Uh, granted, the ER wasn't full. People weren't dying left and right. It was a lull moment, so rest, rest assured there. But I noticed that some of the ladies over here were talking, and I thought, I'm going to tease them a little bit and just kind of relax some of the stress. So I saw on the ground that there, somebody had lost, I think it was part of an earring, like a diamond earring. And you know, a, a, real, a real diamond looks real, and a fake diamond can sometimes look real. And to me, I don't, I don't really know the difference. It looked like a, a real diamond, but it was big and gaudy. I took it, and I stuck it on my ring. And I thought, ah, the piece of tape, you can see it. It's, it's going to be too easy to, to fool people. So I, I, I really worked hard at getting a little piece of tape so that you couldn't see where I sort of put it on there. And I walked over to the ladies, and I said, ladies, my wife loves me so much. She actually bought me a ring. It looks a bit feminine, but I'm, you know, I'm a male nurse, but my wife loves me. I do. What do you think of this ring? And oh, immediately all the nurses were like, that is beautiful. It is a little strange, Howard, but I'm, if your wife loves you and one by one, they were just shocked at the beauty of this ring. And I walked around. Well, one nurse walked over and she looked at me and she kind of knows my personality. And she said, wait a minute, let me, let me look a little closer at that ring. And, and she walked up and she just looked real close, and she touched it, and it was enough to knock the diamond off onto the floor. And all the nurses went, oh, you know, and the other nurse said, that is not real. All right? Well, when we say that false teachers are sneaky, it's this very thing. It's going to look real. It's going to sound real. And here is one of the things I've learned 
is you have to watch their words. They use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. So what do you do if they use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary? The way that you knock that little piece of an earring onto the floor so you can detect the sneakiness is you say, what do you mean by that word? What do you mean when you say this or that? So that's the second thing. They're very sneaky. Here's the third sign, though. They teach heresies. Now, what's a heresy? A heresy, it sounds like a bad word. The truth is the heresy is just it's a choice. It's an opinion. It's when your mind decides, I can believe this or I can believe that, and I'm going to choose this. So they believed choices or heresies. That's what false teachers actually believed. And it helps me to know, okay, well, what's the opposite of a heresy? The opposite of, the opposite of a heresy is the word orthodoxy. I had a professor named Harold O.J. Brown, and he has a famous phrase. He says, heresy presupposes orthodoxy. So let me back this up. A heresy is just a choice. Now, Christians would say a lot of choices can be crooked, all right? You can make a crooked choice about God, a crooked choice about what to believe. Orthodoxy, you've been, you've been to an orthopedic surgeon, right? He takes a picture of you when you go, my arm's killing me, and he says, there ain't, that ain't straight. That's not according to the standard of correct bones. So an orthopedic surgeon, he's got straight thinking about your bones, an orthodox theologian or an orthodox Christian has straight thinking about God. And a heretic would be someone who has crooked thinking. But check it out. If heresy presupposes orthodoxy, that can sound a little cocky. Let me explain. I was uh, tying my shoe just a couple of days ago, and one of my kids walked over and said, Dad, you tie your shoes in kind of a weird way. And I immediately thought to myself, who does he think he is? Does he have some kind of a rule book on how to tie shoes? I mean, is there an orthodox way to tie a shoe? And he's walking up and noticing that I'm doing it in a crooked way. So sometimes when we, when we, when we think about heresy and orthodoxy, we have to admit that there's an absolute standard of what is straight before we can call something crooked. And this is where I think if, if you're visiting our church and you're exploring Christianity and you're wondering, you Christians... This whole idea of thinking straight, this whole idea of you've got the absolute standard, that just smells of dictating to others what they're supposed to think about religion. But religions are fundamentally mysterious, and the individual conscience, isn't that fundamentally sacred? If you're going to force all of us to believe and follow a restrictive pattern or some truth that you've found, that kind of smacks of pride. It can be abusive. It can be dictating things to others. Or some of you that, uh, even as Christians, you may wonder, you know, that's interesting. I mean, yesterday's heresies can end up becoming today's orthodoxies. Remember the guy that actually thought that the sun was the middle of the universe? And everybody was like, oh, that guy's a heretic. No, I mean, they, they took a look at it, and the sun actually is. The earth is not. So it is. Uh, sometimes truths can change. So I think, it's, I think it's appropriate when we bump into these questions of, wait a minute, if there's heresy and orthodoxy, isn't there a bit of pride here? But when we look at this, what's the Christian's answer? It's a great question. How would you answer someone that said, I just am frustrated that you guys even talk like this about heresies and orthodoxy? Well, the Christian answer is, we do get alarmed and we do get agitated, a lot like Peter is in this letter, because we realize that the gospel very simply is, 
We're lost. We need a map. We need to get back to God. And if someone walks over and says, I've got a map, and if you take it that way, it will take you off the edge of a cliff. Christians would say, look, I was given this map. I was given this story about Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he is the way back to God. This is the straight thinking. This is the ruler by which if something looks crooked, we were given this. And it really does matter. So I would just ask you if you are frustrated with us as Christians because we appear to be dictating and forceful and, and whatnot, we really are motivated a lot more out of mercy because we have been given away back to God. And we care that people are not destroyed in their journey. Do you notice it does say destructive heresies in verse 1? That's the problem there. These heresies can bring ruin and waste. And here's the fourth sign. The reason it's so destructive is it says in verse 1, even denying the master who bought them. Now, the master was Jesus Christ. You can detect a false teacher if they deny Christ. There's a lot of churches in Union County that love God, but ask them about Christ. There are a lot of cults that talk a lot about the magnificent, strong God. Talk to them of Christ, particularly talk to them of the Christ who bought them. That's redemption. That's the title of our church, Church of the Redeemer. It's the gospel. I had an experience a couple of weeks ago with an, old, uh, an older woman that came in and uh, I noticed right away that she was a Jehovah's Witness. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness here today, I don't, I don't tell this story to look down upon Jehovah's Witnesses. I tell this story to, to try to illustrate the idea of denying Christ. I walked up to her and I said, hey, I'm going to be your nurse today. And she was clutching in her hands a pamphlet. And all I saw on the pamphlet, it said, no blood products. And I immediately thought, I've got to be sensitive because if she's so sick and she needs life-saving blood, she's letting the world know as she's clutching onto that thing, no blood products. And if you get to know their theology, it's one of their beliefs. It's one of their choices. That the book of Leviticus, they would say that Leviticus says, don't drink the blood, don't take the blood. And they're trying to be true to what they've been taught. Well, I said to her, I said, hey, let's, let's get to know each other. We talked a little bit. And the first thing out of her mouth is she said, I want you to know that I have, been the, uh, I have been at the site of over 50 kingdom halls. I've spent my whole life building kingdom halls. And I thought, interesting. She's so sick, and yet she's, before I even get to know her, she's telling me about all these great things that she's doing, and she's clutching what she doesn't want, and she's talking about what she does want. And it made me think about the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're tied to an ancient teacher named Arius. Arius was a person who claimed to be a Christian. He lived a long time ago, but Arius taught that Christ was not fully God. He said that God was created. Arius goes on record to say Jesus is not equal, no, nor one in essence with God. Now, Christians teach just the opposite. They teach that Christ is fully God, giving him the power to save sinners when they call. Arius taught that Jesus was not fully man, He was created kind of like an angel. So a Jehovah's Witness that is just basically uh, reteaching what Arius, who claimed to be a Christian long ago, taught, said that, look, we believe in Jesus, but he wasn't God, and he wasn't even human. 
Christians teach that Jesus was fully man, offered as the only acceptable sacrifice for the sins of his people. Hebrews 2 makes it so clear. He shared in our humanity so that by his death we might destroy him. He might destroy him who has the power of the devil. You might be saying, Howard, what is the big deal? There is already enough fighting in the world. You're taking care of an elderly sick lady. What's, what is the big deal? Well, the big deal is that Arius taught that God sent a creature in order to show us how we could bridge the gap between God and man. If we would just learn to follow his example, we could get there. The human predicament and the divine solution are more profound than that. Arius' Arius's solution, just try harder. Just be on the job site to get over 50 buildings built. Just clutch stronger to a pamphlet that says, no blood. The Christian solution, the God-man did what, the God-man did what needed to be done to deliver us through his incarnation and cross. See, as Christians, we, we see a bridge. And remember, the goal for Christians, and, and Peter's whole thing he got taught by Jesus, is that We don't deserve to be with God. And if I were to come over to someone and present a bridge that didn't fully go to man, didn't fully go to God, there'd be no way to cross that bridge. So as Christians, we're not trying to be cocky. We're not trying to be know-it-alls. We're trying to say we've been given a story, and the story tells us that Jesus is fully human. He reaches fully down to us as humans. He's fully God, and that bridge can connect us. It's the gospel. It really does matter. So that's the, that, the denial of Christ really is important. And I, I just want you to say, when I brought the lady upstairs, I, I wasn't looking down my nose at her. I was just hurting. I was hurting thinking that she will not receive the blood. What, what a metaphor for, for even us as Christians, denying the God who bought us with his blood. She would not receive the blood and what she's been taught. I had more of a, a frustration with those that had taught her than with her but was still very sad. Fifth sign is that they are popular. Look at it it says in verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality. The influence of these teachers is alluring. And why many? Because of the sensuality. Sensuality was a Greek word which meant no restraints. You're not going to tell me what to do. I can live my life how I want to live it. And when somebody writes a really good book and maybe says you can have your best life now, not to name names, man, I'm going to buy that paperback. That's going to be that, that popular teaching that tells me that, wow, all the sharp edges of life are just taken off. And I just, man, life is good. That popular stuff is going to sell. The sixth sign in verse 2 says this, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. How do you, how, Peter's saying, how can you detect a false teacher? They think there are many ways to get to God. That's not what it says here, though. It says, the way of truth will be blasphemed. See, they don't like that. Somebody walks up and says, there's only one way to get from your sinful condition to the holy God of love and mercy and justice. They would say, there are many ways to God. That will help you detect them. Uh, If you go buy a car with a bumper sticker that says coexist, it'd be a great person to have a conversation with. Are you saying that all of those are going to get us back to God? Every, Every one of those? One way, one truth, and we ought not to be ashamed, but you'll know you're getting shamed if you bring up the one way. And you know how when you're driving, you get honked at, you're kind of like, oh man, people are honking at me. People will honk at you as a Christian. 
when you bring up that there is one way, that there is one map, there is one true word. The only road that leads to God is the road by which the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to sinful man. Christian teaching has always been inclusive of all who believe in Jesus and exclusive of all false ways to God. The seventh sign is they are greedy. Verse 3 says, and in their greed, they will exploit you. You will know a false teacher because they're motivated by money. They market their ministry. Even Jesus said, beware of the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I think Jesus gave us a clue here because, look, if I'm sitting here and you're sitting here and a sheep walks up and a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing walked up, they both look like a sheep. So you're thinking, well, how do I tell the difference? You tell the difference because one of them wants to devour your money. I've been working with Dean and David for years now. I have never sensed that these men wake up in the morning and say, pay me and I will declare the gospel. It's the direct opposite. I see these men working, and you'll see this all the times in Scripture when it says, pay a preacher Pay a teacher of the, of the Word of God. It always says they are working hard, kind of like that picture of the animal that's just working. So now pay them. You will know a false teacher if they walk up and say, you pay me good money, I will take care of you spiritually. Be very careful if you're watching television and they are leading with, bring me the money and I'll bring you the way to God. Very, very dangerous. The eighth sign is they fabricate fabricate the truth. Verse 3 says they will exploit you with false words. The word false means plastic. It's an invented word. One of my assignments at seminary was to attend Myers Park Baptist Church. I said to the teacher, why do you want us to go to a Baptist church? He said, well, it's a Baptist church, but we want you to go there as seminary students because you're going to hear things there that are dressed up as Christianity, but I want you just to experience that. I brought my family we got up and started to sing Amazing Grace. And we sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a... Now, I was ready to say the word wretch. Because the scripture says our condition is not that I just behave badly, but inside the stain of sin has taken over me. And God, I deserve God's punishment. And I was ready just to belt out with this Baptist church, saved a wretch like me, but they changed the words. They fabricated something different. And they said... Saved and set me free. That was kind of more funny to turn to my wife because she was irritated that somebody, I think for her it was like, who has got the gall to go back to a song that's been around a couple hundred years? The presumption to reword a song by a guy who was a slave trader and he knew he was a wretch. But it, I, these are these little things. If you hear words, you've got to watch them closely. There is a lot of fabricated, hollow stuff out there. Yes, he saved and set us free, but it's more radical that you were a wretch. It's more radical that someone who does not deserve God is ruined, and Jesus enters into your mess and says, I'm going to love you out of this mess. I'm just not going to set you free so you can just keep living your life. Watch those plastic words. You can have your best life now. You know... Uh, one thing I love about Dean the last six years, Dean is the direct opposite of you can have your best life now. Dean gets up every week and he has one sermon. We're going to suffer. We're going to suffer, but there's hope. We're going to suffer. 
I mean, just one sermon, Dean, with the best life now, okay? You know what Dean's telling you, though, guys? Dean would love to feed you that. Dean realizes that suffering is normal because the best is yet to come. The future is brimming with hope. Dean hates to be called out like that, too. Sorry, Dean. Keep going. me. Take a look here at the ninth sign. False teachers are indulgent rather than restrained with their sexuality. It says in verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. God has determined sexual distinctions and sexual design. We will be a church, and I, I wonder if the day will come where I could get fined for this, but we will be a church that will declare that God has determined sexual distinctions and sexual design. False teachers are going to say, people have a right to do what's natural. We're going to say here, fallen, fallen natural. Because, because of the reality of sin, Christians say Jesus came to reverse the fallen nature of men. As Christians, we actually want to teach that we want to do the unnatural. Be careful of those words. Christ died to free us from the domination of sexual desire, and his sexual design is awesome. The tenth sign is they are spiritual anarchists. What do I mean? It says in verse 10, they despise authority. You bring up authority for them, the power of the right to determine what's true in value, the yuck factor goes off the Richter scale for them. It's not just distasteful. They despise authority. Reason and experience claim the seat of authority today in America, but the gospel continually overturns and redirects our reason and experiences rather than ratifying and confirming them. Let me say that again. The gospel will continually overturn and redirect both our reason and experiences rather than ratify and confirm them because the master, the king, Jesus Christ is our leader. He sets our standards. We love that about him. He sets our goals. He envisions what should be and will be. Well, it's one thing, guys, to go down the list and to go ahead and say, I can detect now someone who is got a crooked view on Christ. But you might be wondering, that was so many false teachers. And Howard, if you know my heart, I get swayed by these guys. I get enticed, as it says. Is there, are, are they going to actually experience any consequence? And it says here, uh, as we look around in the world, and we see, we, we see justice in contests, in the courts. We see that there is a winner and a loser. There is justice. And we sometimes wonder, God... Is there justice in the world? Verse 3 says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's the idea of destruction, or if someone really is doing wrong and teaching all these false ways that destroy people's eternal experience with God, Peter's saying, oh, no. Destruction isn't nodding off to sleep. Destruction is alive and well. And this is a short section um, it, there's a lot more that we could develop, but Peter is going to mount a very powerful if-then argument to prove his point. Verses 4 to 9, I'm going to give this argument. Follow it with me. Verse 4 says, if God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, look at verse 5. If he didn't spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them, look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. 
Did you catch that? Peter looks back and he says, look, there's three stories. And he gives, gives us to him quick. You're wondering if false teachers are going to get any kind of consequence. The angels who are in the presence of God, they are incarcerated in hell. The ungodly that while 120 years, Noah would get up in the morning and say, there's only one way out of this, guys. We've got to get into this ark. And he would preach and he would tell them there's this one way. And he got in and the entire human race and the animals were destroyed. They were inundated. And the third one, entire cities were incinerated. If you're wondering if God does give a consequence. If he didn't spare these, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under judgment and under punishment. So to review, we can detect that there's false teachers. God will destroy false teachers. But what about our now? Can we be delivered from the enticing and tempting teachings of our ungodly world? Verse 5 says this, God preserved Noah. Verse 7 says, he rescued righteous Lot. We're just going to look at Lot for a moment. Why was he righteous? Because he knew God's standards. And it says that when he saw things in his culture, when he saw false teachers that were leading people over the cliff... He was greatly distressed by their sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. See, Lot, like us today, he was not desensitized to the shock of sin against God. And yet he did not become self-righteous. He lived among these people. He did business among these people. When he and his wife were leaving with the family, she looked back because her heart was there This was not simple for him. His soul was pulled toward the cultural temptations just as ours were. Now, here's the surprise at the end. Did you notice that it says, if he didn't spare those angels? If he didn't spare the ungodly? Do you realize that Jesus, it says in Romans 8, 32, God says, he did not spare his own son. He did not spare. He did not keep Jesus from the punishment that we deserved, but he gave him up for us all. See, Christianity teaches that judgment is inevitable, but it's not inescapable. When we sing a song together, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Look, God's wrath, because he's a just God, is going to show up in one of two places. It's either going to show up in hell with finite man forever, Or it's going to show up in another place, and that's on the cross, where the infinite God-man is hanging there, taking the wrath in your place. Jesus was not spared. Jesus knows how to rescue. Don't be discouraged if you doubt if judgment will ever come. Look at the cross. Don't be discouraged as you're living amongst all the false teachings. And guys, I've been to seminary, but I would say at least weekly, Some thought gets into my mind that's heretical, and I start to wonder if it's true. Like, I wonder, is this whole Christianity thing a total sham? And I'm reminded, Jesus. I'm reminded, I've got a map. I've got a sure word. Even though I can be enticed by these beliefs, and they're they're tricky. I can go back to the anchor of Scripture. 
couple of weeks ago, I was going to borrow my dad's bike and take my son Sam out on a ride, and my wife walked over to me. She knows my personality, and she said, you better make sure you go the speed limit. That's 55 miles an hour. And I mean, telling a guy like me to go the speed limit on a motorcycle is like telling Tigger to sit still in church, all right? I mean, it's just not going to happen. But I said, yes, dear, yes, dear. I was lying. And, um, I got on the bike, and I got on with my son, and I actually, I was thinking, you know what? She's right. And I've seen a lot of devastation in the ER on motorcycles. But I got on that bike, and I took off up to 601, and I gunned it. I was going a little bit faster than 55 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, I got fearful because my son was on the back, and I just felt like I'm going too fast. But I looked on my right, and there was a sign and the sign simply said, there's a curve a-coming. And it gave me the wherewithal when I detected that sign. And I realized, well, my wife is right. Let's slow it down. I don't want it to be destroyed. I don't want my son to be destroyed. And I was able to navigate that curve. And I thought about when I was younger and I was not able to navigate that curve because I didn't know that sign was coming. And I, I just encourage us today, place those eyes on Christ when you get messed up with all this talk about false teaching, Christ, the cross, you will be able to continue and you will be delivered even when you are enticed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you took a man who denied you three times, one of the very signs of a false teacher, and you met him on the beach one morning and said, I got more work for you, Peter. We're surprised that at the end of his life, he wrote us this small section and he brought up stories, but he was pretty honest about what we're facing. Lord, we need your help. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. We ask that as, as we uh, experience different things at Church of the Redeemer, that it would all become clear when we look at the cross and we see your dear son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.